Okay, so hey, if you got a Bible, yeah, you're good, yeah. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts 2 tonight. Acts 2. And so last week, what did we talk about? Really easy. Two words. What did we talk about? Good, look at you guys. Knowing God, yeah. No, yeah, that's what we talked about, the importance of knowing God. And we're kind of in this three-week series right now about <clears throat> foundations and like really three things to build our lives upon and kind of what really three things are really key when it comes to really what the foundation that we build our lives on. And so last week we talked about the importance of knowing God and really how that we were, we were made to know God and we were made to have a personal relationship with Him. And, and this week we're going to talk about the second foundation that I believe is incredibly uh, important, and that is, if you've been looking at social media or whatever, you know, uh, biblical community. So and if, you, if you're kind of jiving with our mission statement, you see what I'm doing now. I'm following our No God, Find Community, Live on Mission idea. But I think this stuff is really important, especially when it comes to the life of a college student. And so tonight we're going to unpack what it means to, to have biblical uh, community. And here's the thing. Um, everyone finds community somewhere. We talk about the idea of community. It's kind of a buzzword in the church right now. But everybody finds community in some different way. And so maybe it's through a church. Maybe it's through a CrossFit gym. Maybe it's through whatever. You know, but you find community in some kind of capacity. So before we get going tonight, here's what I want you to do. I want you to break up into your tables, okay? And just for a few minutes, I want you to discuss three things. So right now, elect a scribe. Elect a scribe from your table who's going to jot down your thoughts. Choose your scribe. Have you chosen your scribe? Yes. Okay. Hey, you've chosen. Okay. Okay. So here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do. So scribe, listen to me, okay? I want you to list and discuss three things really quick, all right? List what kind of places do people find community in Tuscaloosa? I'm not looking for spiritual answers necessarily. Just what kind of places do people find community in Tuscaloosa? All right. Second question is, what are people seeking in that community? Like you're, in every community, you're looking for something, right? So what are you seeking in that community? And then the third, third one is this. How can the church address that need for community in that specific area? All right, so give it to you again. What kinds of places in, in, uh, in Tuscaloosa do people find community? What are people seeking in these communities? And how can the church address that need? Okay, so I'm going to give you like four, maybe five minutes to do that, and we're going to move on. Okay, go. Okay, well, thank you for participating in my little exercise there. And so I hope that maybe at least got you thinking about community and what it means, um, really, what the, what the importance of community is, we can say it that way, right? And how really the church, especially like y'all said back there at that table, should be a place for community unlike anything else. Now, the church is not your CrossFit gym, praise the Lord. Um, but, but it should provide a place of community unlike anything else. So I'm going to give you a definition of community. I didn't come up with it. I looked it up on the internet, which means it's got to be true. Um, but I think it's a helpful definition. All right. Is this a community is a group based on people with common characteristics and a common goal. So it's a group based on people with common characteristics and a common goal. So if you think about the church then, well, what's the common goal and the common characteristics of uh, the church, well, the thing that unifies us is 
Here's your Sunday school answer, right? Jesus, or to say it in another way, the gospel, right? So our common characteristic and our common goal in a way, and we'll unpack this more in a second, is, is the gospel. Because let's be honest, all right? We don't just need, I mean, well, some of you are new in town, you need some more friends. But for the most part, we don't, just don't need more friends, right? For the most part, we do a pretty good job of making friends kind of just in life in general, all right? We don't really just need more Christian cliques. We don't need more church friends and that kind of thing, right? What we really need is biblical community, right? Because you can make friends in a lot of different areas, and that's great. Obviously, nothing wrong with that, right? But what we need more than just more friends, what we need than more than just that kind of stuff, that social interaction, is real biblical community. So what I want to do tonight is I want to give you what I believe are three signs of biblical community. Uh, they're not, it's not an exhaustive list, okay? We could be here for a long time talking about all the different facets of, of community in that kind of way. But I, I want to give you three, I think, are really important parts of biblical community and how you can develop that and find that uh, here, okay? So um, if you're in Acts 2, I wanna, want us to read together. Um, I, we're going to be in Acts 2, looking at a great example from the early church about biblical community and, and what that looks like. So we're looking at Acts 2, the latter end of the chapter, so verses 42 through 47. So we're looking at Acts 2, 42 uh, through 47. <clears throat> this is uh, Dr. Luke's description of the early church after Pentecost. All right, so he says this. And they devoted themselves, that's the early gathering of believers, that's the they. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So in that passage right there, we see a really cool, I believe really beautiful depiction of the early church and what their life looked like. And I believe that we as the 2016 church have a lot we could learn from the church in Acts. That means we have to do everything the same way they did, uh, but we can learn a lot from them. But one thing I want to point out there without walking through every facet of that passage is point out one specific word that I believe is really, really important. And it's the word fellowship, all right? Because it says, and they, devote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, right? Well, in the Baptist church, we think fellowship and we think what? Yeah, like kind of what we just did, right? Like only better food, maybe. And so, you know, it was, okay, well, thank you, you know? It wasn't grandma's casserole, right? But it was, it was pretty good. Yeah. And so, but we think fellowship, we think, you know, like eating, getting together, which is, I could be a form of fellowship, but um, the actual word there in the Greek language is the word koinonia. All right, so everybody say that with me. Koinonia. 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 You're now all Greek scholars, okay? Congratulations. Okay. So, but it's the word koinonia, okay, which actually means something a lot more than just casseroles and eating and that kind of thing. Really, the definition that I... um, looked up in a dictionary, Greek dictionary, is it means communion, means joint participation. It's the sharing of what one has in anything. It means participation, 
a gift, jointly contributed, a collection, or a contribution. And really one word I love in that definition is participation, right? Because we see right there in Acts 2, even from the description of their life, that fellowship isn't just like a Baptist party with lots of casseroles. It's living a life together. Not as a clique, but as people with a specific purpose. So to think fellowship, you should think devoting ourselves to living out the gospel of Christ together. It's taking care of each other. It's a common participation in life together as we all seek to know Jesus more deeply and to make him known to the world. That's what fellowship is. Okay, fellowship's a lot deeper than that. But the problem in America we have sometimes is that we have a very individualistic mentality, right? We, as Americans, we love like, you know, just that Lone Ranger idea of that one guy who's able to, you know, save the world kind of on his own. And we love and like kind of exalt these, you know, solo hero, um, hero figures, so we have this idea that even in our spirituality that we can do fine just like with me and Jesus. You know, I don't really need other people. I, me and Jesus, we're, we're good, like we're on good terms, and I, I'm good that way. And we end up thinking that we don't need anyone else in our faith journey either. Uh, but if you follow Christ for very long and long enough, you've probably come to the point where you've realized that the opposite is actually true. That we desperately need other people in our lives and other believers in our lives to walk with us through the messiness of our lives to point us to Christ. Because on our own, uh, there's a lot of trouble we can get ourselves into. But as a fellowship, as a body, we can do a lot of great things. Um, This past summer, for those of you that were around, even if you weren't, um, our pastors uh, preached through some of the one another's of the Bible uh, this past summer. And it was very encouraging and I really enjoyed kind of being uh, pushed forward in that kind of way by Colby and Keith and they point out a lot of beautiful ideas about what fellowship looks like in the church. And um, just to mention a few, uh, there were things like love one another. That true fellowship means we love one another from John 13. It means that we show family affection to one another from Romans 12. It means that we accept one another from Romans 15. It means that we serve one another through love, Galatians 5. It means we carry each other's burdens from Galatians 6. Those are all great examples of true fellowship. Because the reason that God gave us those commandments is because he knows that we need each other. He knows that he gave every believer, every believer even in this room, specific gifts that other people don't have, right? Like I don't have certain gifts that some of you guys have, and that's why we need each other to work together. Because otherwise we're deficient in certain things we have in terms of like encouragement and serving and hospitality and teaching and all that kind of stuff. On our own, we're deficient. But together, we're a body, that functions well, right? And even if we see there at the end of Acts 2, one thing I love about that passage is that the, the result of community is not just like fun. And the result of community is not just full stomachs from the casserole. Right? The result of community is that people see Jesus in a very visible way. You see, in the end of that passage, it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I don't think it's a coincidence it's there. It's because as people saw true community being lived out, they wanted to be a part of it. As they learned what they were about, they're like, well, I want part of this Jesus too, because obviously he's doing a big deal in your lives, right? Obviously this Jesus is making a difference in your life. I want in. And so real biblical community leads to people coming to Christ as well. But the second thing I want to show you is, um, because really the whole New Testament gives us illustrations about biblical community, but the second one I want to point out is this. Another sign of biblical community is authenticity, all right, authenticity. Because one of the reasons that many of us don't plug into biblical community is because it's messy, 
Because real relationships can end up with you getting hurt sometimes, even in the, in the church. Uh, Dustin Willis, in his book, uh, Life on Mission, says this. I, I love this description. He says, the church is a bunch of sinful people getting together with a bunch of other sinful people, working out their sinful lives, and believing that God will somehow use it all to grow the group toward maturity. <laughs> I love that because it's so true. Because I'm sure many of us here, myself included, have been hurt by someone in the church before. If you do life with people long enough, you're going to get hurt in some kind of way. But that doesn't give us an excuse to act immune or like we don't need biblical community. Because we all need people that we can be real and we can be authentic with, right? We need, we need people that we can uh, stop hiding with and people that we can stop pretending with and stop acting like we have it all together with and simply be authentic and be real. We need a place where we can remove the mask, right? We need a place where we can be real with our struggles because like we talked about last week with the idea of knowing God and, and the gospel, the reason we go from the gospel to community is this, because the truth of the gospel is that God fully knows us, even in our, our sin, yet he fully loves us in Christ. And because of that, we're freed up to be honest with our struggles and we're freed up to be authentic because we're already righteous in Christ. We don't have to keep up this great fig leaf suit, you know, uh, this imitation of our own self-righteousness. But instead, we can bear, you know, bear our weaknesses to each other. It doesn't mean that we're completely open with every person we ever meet in the church. That could be awkward, right? But we have certain believers, right, that we're authentic with. And the reason we can do that is because we're done wearing this mask of self-righteousness. We can be real with each other because Christ has already bore our sin on the cross for us. Right? He's already spoken the final word in, on the cross about who we are, right? So we don't have to pretend like we have it all together because Christ has it all together for us, right? And so because of that, we can be authentic with people and experience real community, right? But that leads into our third one here as well as accountability. Accountability. James 5.16 tells us this. This is a scary verse for lots of people, but James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So yet again, if you live the Christian life long enough, you learn that following Jesus is hard. It's hard. If anyone tells you following Jesus is easy, they either haven't done it long enough or maybe they're not really following him very well. Because it's hard, right? I will stand up here and tell you that. There's reasons that Jesus told us to, Jesus told his disciples and tells us, that we have to die to ourselves every day. That the Christian life is picking up your cross and following him. That's why Paul encourages the church in Rome to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. Because the Christian life is a daily process of submitting your life to God and his will. But that's also why we need community. Because the Christian life is hard. And we need people in our lives that know us well enough to know if we're, ha- if we're having a good day or a bad day in our faith. We need people in our lives who know us well enough to know what we're struggling with, to know what we're celebrating in life, to, to know how they can pray for us more than just a vague, like, oh, I have a midterm Wednesday, or, you know, I have something coming up in my life, or unspoken, you know, the, the, we love the unspoken prayer requests, right? We, we need people who know the unspokens, who know what the unspokens are, right? And they're praying for us about those things, Okay. 
Because sometimes when we hear the word accountability, I think sometimes people think of like this group that gathers once once a week, like together at Starbucks or gathers once a week here at the church. And all they do is like confess their sin about how they've screwed up that week or how they looked at porn when they didn't want to or how they did this and they didn't want to and that kind of thing. And like we, we think of accountability kind of that way. We think of shame. We think of embarrassment. But that's not God's heart for accountability. Um, You can look there if you want, but I want to show you this verse. I think it's huge. Galatians 6. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, I believe shows God's heart for accountability. And this this is huge for me as I I looked at this stuff um, for tonight. But Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says this. I'm going to take a drink real quick. Sorry. I'm getting dry. (laughs) So you can look it up if you want. I'll give you a second. This is your awkward moment to look up Galatians 6. Excuse me. It's in the G's. Thank you, Jessica, who got that. Okay. All right. So Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we see right there that the heart of accountability is not about shame. It's not about guilt, right? It's like Paul says there. It's to help us restore each other with a spirit of gentleness. That's because, like Paul says, we all need to keep watch on ourselves because we know that we're tempted to sin just like everyone else and that we need other people to keep us on track. We need to bear each other's burdens because the Christian life is hard, but it's worth it. And so the idea of accountability is not an idea of shame and guilt. It's an idea of restoring each other in gentleness and pressing on together, knowing that you struggle with sins, maybe not the same sins, but with sin in in different ways, and that you need each other to be there for each other. Well, how do we hold each other accountable? Really, I think it's really in in two simple ways, if I can make it maybe too simple for you. Um, But we we hold each other accountable in two ways, um, in repenting from sin and in believing in Jesus. Right? Just like we believe the gospel by, by repenting and believing, our accountability is we hold each other accountable in repenting from sin and believing in Jesus. Let, let me unpack that. We need people in our lives who we've given permission to ask hard questions about how we're doing. Right? We need people in our lives who can ask us those tough questions about, hey, I know that this has been an issue in your life before. How's that going right now? We need to have people that we've given permission to. Um, we need people we can confess our struggles to, not to be ashamed, but so that they can pray for us and, and so they can help us to kill sin in our lives. Because it's been said before, if you're not killing sin, it's going to kill you. Right? Be killing sin, or it'll be killing you. So that's the repenting part. But we also need people who will push us more toward Christ. We need people who will encourage us in our faith and, and encourage us to love Christ more. We need people who will spur us on to even be, to be a witness for Christ. Um, I mean, if you're honest, I think a lot of times the reason that many of us don't share our faith much and many of us don't talk about the gospel much with our non-Christian friends is because, honestly, we don't see our other friends doing it. We don't see my other Christian you know, brothers and sisters sharing their faith, so why would I? It's awkward, right? So I don't see that my other friends doing it, so why would I ever do it? And we don't hold each other accountable in that way, so we get very lax in that, I believe that one of the big issues that the church in America struggles with is that we fail in evangelism. We just don't take the Great Commission seriously, right? If we did, we would talk about Jesus much more. 
we take the Great Commission seriously. Um, but imagine what would happen if we began to take the Great Commission seriously and then hold each other accountable to it. Imagine if you had someone in your life who began asking you if you'd shared the gospel with your roommate yet, if you'd shared the gospel with your unbelieving classmate, if you'd shared the gospel at all this week. Imagine if you had someone in your life who asked you that question, and then you could ask them the same question. It's not just a one-way street, right? It goes both ways. Imagine if you had people in your lives who spurred you on in that kind of way. That's what biblical community looks like. It's more than that, but that's one of the big parts of it. Accountability, right? Accountability. So with those three, three things said, I want to move on a little bit with that because we talked about three important aspects of community. Fellowship, uh, uh, fellowship, authenticity, sorry, and uh, accountability. But here's the thing. Like, where did God intend people to find that community then? Is it in, you know, like this, this random Bible study? Is it in, you know, a campus ministry? Is it in here? Where, where is it at? Well, I would say according to, to Scripture, God intended for the primary source of, of community to come from the local church, right? The local church. I'm not bashing campus ministries. I, I love them. I used to work for one, right? Uh, but Jesus didn't die for a campus ministry. He died for the local church, right? And so the local church is the primary source and primary place where we should find biblical community. But here's the problem, and this is an American thing, I think, for the most part. But most of us have a really small view of church. We, th- we think church in really small terms. We think it's just a place where we come for like a Bible study. Or it's a place that we come for a Sunday morning worship service once or twice a week. But that's not how the Bible describes what church really is. Um, because church is intended to be something much more than that. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, there's a Greek word that, get u- that gets used for the church. I'm using lots of Greek words tonight. Sorry, guys. Um, but it's the word ekklesia. So say after me. Ekklesia. Ecclesia. See, now we're all just as smart. I'm not like some fancy guy saying Greek words. We all know the words together. Okay. All right. So, but the word ecclesia literally means called out ones. Okay. Called out ones. And so a church really is a group of people who have been called out by God. So you think about in biblical language, it's a group of people who have been brought from death to life. They've been called from death to life. They've been called from darkness to light. They've been called from sin to salvation. They've been called out. But the New Testament also uses that word ecclesia, right? Which also could mean like gathering, like town hall meeting kind of thing. Um, it uses it in two senses, though. You've got the universal and you have the local. You have the, as uh, I've heard it called before, the capital C church and the lowercase c church. Okay? Because um, sometimes the New Testament discusses the church in that capital C way, right? Um, it talks about the church being the total group of all people who are saved. All people who are in Christ, whether they're living or, or not living anymore. Paul uses that term when he talks about the body of Christ or the, uh, the bride of Christ or the people of God. Those kind of words to talk about the big picture. Um, that's because the church is a lot more than just a Sunday morning worship service. The church is a lot more than Alberta Baptist Church, right? Um, through the church, the capital C church... God is actually revealing the mystery of his plans to the universe. All right, the church is even a preview of what the kingdom of God is going to look like whenever Christ comes, uh, when Christ returns. Uh, the church is God's plan A in saving the world, right? God didn't come down and say, okay, well, let me try this one thing to save the people. Oh, that didn't work. Let me use the church instead. No, the church is God's plan A in spreading the gospel around the world. 
But it's a lot more than that big picture idea even. The vast majority of the times that the word church is used in the New Testament, it's not talking about the big C church. It's talking about the, the little C, the local church. It's talking about individual gatherings of believers like Alberta Baptist. So a local church then is a group of believers who gather together for three main reasons. You could say our three main vision statements would work, but you could say it this way too. A church gathers for three reasons. They gather to worship, they gather to encourage each other in the faith, and they gather to represent Christ to the world. In Alberta language, you could say that our church exists to know God, find community, and live on mission. Same kind of idea, right? But that's why a local church exists. And then those local congregations like us are individual parts of the whole body of Christ. But they're, they're not just random groups of Christians that happen to gather a couple of times a week or once a week to hear a sermon and to sing some songs. But here's the thing. Individual churches, according to the Bible, are actually the flesh and blood of Jesus. They are the visible representation of the body of Christ in the world today. So church is, is, is a big deal. So that means that as a local church, and even as us as a local church, no matter how imperfect it is, it's the flesh and blood of Jesus. It's the message, sorry, it's the means that God has chosen to carry the message of the gospel. The church is God's plan to save the world. It really is, right? Through the church. And so we shouldn't take the church lightly. So we need to be really careful how we think about the church and our attitude toward that. Now, again, I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you're here on a Wednesday night, like at, you know, eight something, listening to me talk, right? So you're kind of, you're in on this, right? But I think this is very important to remember is that, you know, we have to be careful with our attitude toward the church because every church does have flaws. ABC has plenty of them. We're not, we're not the coolest church in town. We don't have the fanciest, you know, technology. We don't have the, you know, the hippest college minister. We don't have the coolest, you know, rocking band or whatever. Like, we're not the hippest church in town, right? But church really isn't about those things in the end anyway. Because when we look at a local church and we look at our church here, we shouldn't look at it with the mentality of this. This is how some people look at church. They look at church and say, okay, what can that group do for me? Like, what are the ways that this church can serve me? What are the ways that this church can make me happy and make my life easier? What are all the ways that this church can please me and can adjust itself to my preferences? That, that's how some people look at church. But what happens there is that leads us to arguing about what songs to sing on Sunday. It leads us to argue about what color the carpet should be, you know, on the floor, that kind of thing. So we don't have carpet um, on the stage in there, but, you know, on that kind of thing. But we got to remember that church isn't about you. Right? Church isn't about you. It's not about me either. It's about Jesus, right? And so with that said, like, we have to remember the church is the body of Christ and therefore, its primary purpose is to work to accomplish Christ's mission in the world. So the question isn't, how can the church serve me? The question is, what can I do to serve this body? What can I do to get effectively plugged into this church so I can be spurred on in my faith and so I can encourage other people well? What are the ways I can help this church in its mission to make Jesus known to the world? That's the kind of questions we should be asking when it comes to church. Um, but we also can't reject the church because it isn't perfect, because the church is full of broken people, because that's the people that need Jesus, right? That's why we're all here. We need Jesus. And really the prerequisite for becoming a Christian is to admit that you are jacked up, that you're screwed up, that you need Jesus, right? We sometimes forget that when we look all pretty with our suits and stuff on on Sunday morning. Like We forget that we're like all coming to church admitting that we're all broken, jacked up people, right? 
And so, but that's the prerequisite for becoming a Christian. So that's why we're here. And, so, and the church is full of hypocrites because sometimes we say we love Jesus and then we still struggle with sin. Now, true Christians don't want to embrace that, right? But many times we do things like we say, yeah, I love Jesus. And I go out and do something that just visibly says, no, he doesn't love Jesus. And there's that tension there that we're becoming conformed more into the image of Christ. But part of the church being full of broken people is because that's what the church is. It's people that need Jesus. And so we can't reject the church because it's full of messed up people because that's the people that Jesus is saving. Right? So we can't just give up on it. We have to embrace the beautiful mess of the church because the church, like I said, is God's plan to save the world. Right? That's a big deal. And it's the responsibility of every Christian to be part of a local church. So with that said, um, I want to give you a few things. Because um, I know a lot of times I talk to students and they kind of wonder, like, what does it really mean to be um, well involved with the local church? Like, what does a healthy church involvement look like? And so I want to give you what I'm going to call uh, Kyle's, what am I calling it here? Kyle's five keys to be a healthy church member. All right? So there you go. It's not a little pamphlet for tonight. Okay. Kyle's five keys. But I want to read one passage to you that I'm kind of basing some of this stuff on. You've heard it before, but... Hebrews 10, I gave you the reference on your page there. But Hebrews 10, 23 and 24 says this. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay. So let me wrap up with tonight with my five keys that I believe are what makes a healthy church member, especially as a college student, okay? This is, this is a big deal. First is easy, okay? Large troop. Hebrews 10 tells us not to give up meeting together. When does the church meet? We meet on Sunday mornings, all right, in the worship center at 1045. All right, so that's one way that we should gather together. So your first way to be a healthy church member is to be at large group, all right, be at 1045 service, okay? Easy. Check. All right. So um, not that it's about check boxes. Okay. But large group being involved in a large group. Second is this though. It's a small group. I think I've made a good case th- tonight that we need community, right? We need our authenticity. We need accountability. We need fellowship, right? But you can't do that in a large group. As you know, Colby loves to say, right? We need to move from rows to circles and circles to community, right? We can't do life together simply in rows. And so I believe that a small group is absolutely vital to your faith and to healthy church involvement. And we have lots of options for you. I'm not going to give you commercials for all of them, but we have Life Group. We have Sunday School meets down here at 930. We have uh, Guys Night and Girls Night, right? We have all kinds of options. I don't expect you, by the way, to go to all those. Like, you, you probably don't have time. You probably shouldn't have time to go to all those things, right? And so I'm not expecting you to go to every one of those things. They're all just different options for you, okay? So know that, like, Guys Night, Girls Night, Life Group, Sunday school, those are all different options for you. But you need to be involved in at least one small group, right? Because life is done better in circles than rows. Okay. Yeah, and, that, and we sit around tables, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But third thing is this. I'll talk more about this next week, but serving. I believe that serving is an is a incredibly, incredibly important part of, uh, of being a healthy church member. And we have lots of ways that you can serve here at the church, and I'll talk more about that next week. Um, but I want you to think about even between now and next week, like what are some of your gifts? Like what are some of the spiritual gifts that God, that God has given you, and how can you use that in serving here at Alberta? So maybe you love working with kids, 
We have lots of chances to work with kids. Maybe you love mentoring you know, youth, middle school, high school kids. May the Lord bless you and keep you because that's, that's great. As a reason, I'm a college minister and not a youth pastor, okay? So, um, but uh, that's awesome, okay? You, we can get you paired with, uh, with Jared, okay? That kind of thing. But we have lots of ways, that, and we want to help you identify your gifts and get you plugged into the church, okay? But the fourth thing is this, and I'm going to camp out here for just a second, is cross-generational relationships, Right, cross-generational relationships. And this is one of the big, the big keys, I believe, because this is something you can't find in a campus ministry. It's something you can't find in other forms of, like, as we call them, parachurch alongside the church ministries. Okay? It's cross-generational relationships. Because think about this. You ever heard of groupthink before? They did have groupthink. I Googled it and found the definition was this. All right, it's defined as the state in which the desire for harmony or conformity in the group results in a, in a rational or dysfunctional decision-making outcome. Okay, I had to just call it Presidential Village One. That's a good example of group thing. Okay, people who are all in the same life stage get together and they do stupid things because they don't know any better. Right. Because they're like, oh, we're all 18, and this sounds like an awesome idea to set this building on fire at 2 a.m. Let's do it, because it sounds awesome, right? And so, but groupthink, that happens. And even in college, as fun as college is, right, it's easy to surround yourself with people who are just like you, who are young, inexperienced, don't really know what's going on, right? And so that's why so many students do really dumb things and make really dumb decisions sometimes in life. It's because no one around them really knows how to say, hey, maybe you shouldn't change your major, major to Japanese because you barely passed 101. Like, I know you love anime. I know you love Dragon Ball Z. But maybe you shouldn't change your major to Japanese because you kind of failed like Japanese 101, okay? They need, but you need people in your life who can tell you that, okay? Now, you may have some college friends who can tell you that too. But that groupthink mentality can happen a lot when it comes to a university kind of setting, okay? But even more than that, and that's kind of funny, but like when it comes to making big life decisions, when it comes to being an adult, right, and adulting in life, um, which is one of the main points of college, by the way, like you're transitioning to becoming an adult, it's really nice to have someone who's, who's been, been, already been there and done that, kind of been ahead of you in life, who can kind of give you some wisdom and kind of help you along that process. And, and that's why I believe the church is so important. Um, for really many reasons, but especially for you to have cross-generational relationships, to know adults who have gone before you and be able to get their wisdom and have those relationships, to even go the other way, to, to know youth and to know kids and to know 8-year-olds and 8-month-olds and 80-year-olds and 18-year-olds and the whole deal, and to be even be able to influence them in some ways. But that's the picture of the church being a family, is that we get to really influence each other in some great ways, but you don't get that if you're not meaningfully involved in the church and if you don't have the chance to get to know some people outside of your college bubble. And so there's lots of ways to do that, but one way that we try to help with that here at the church is the student adoption program. Uh, basically what that is is we help connect you with a family that loves college students and that wants to be that, that source of wisdom for you. They're not here, excuse me, they're not here to be your mom they're not here to you know, make sure that you're going to bed on time, that kind of thing. They're, not, they're there for, to be a mentor to you. They're there to kind of walk alongside you in this very important season and to be kind of uh, some help to you. And so um, I believe that's the easy way to, to begin that process of making cross-generational relationships. There's other ways to do it, 
But I believe the student adoption program is super helpful for that. So if you have any interest in doing that, I've got some fantastic families that have already said they're in. And so if you want to be kind of adopted um, this year as a college student, please let me know. I'd love to get you connected, okay? Um, but with that, I have one more thing, and then we'll be done. Is uh, The last one, uh, number five, is a uh, committed member, okay? Committed member. Because I think it's really important for you to be a member of a local church. Because I haven't really talked a lot about membership before, but to put it simply, being a member of a church is you saying that you're committed to that local body. It's you making a visible statement of that. It's you saying that you agree with the vision of the church, that you want to support the ministry of the church with your resources, and it's you saying that you want to be held accountable to be a part of that church and the standard that you have as a follower of Christ. Um, Becoming a member of a local church is you saying that you're serious about your commitment to that church. It lets us as church staff and as a church hold you accountable in, in the way the only members can be. Because I'm a, I'm a minister. I'm not quite a pastor quite yet. I'm not ordained yet. But in terms of the way that I minister to you and that we as a church staff pastor people, like we're, a pastor is also an overseer. Well, I can't oversee people that I don't know if are really in or not. So pastors can't pastor people that they don't really have some kind of visible commitment that they're part of the body. And so being a church member, I know we've kind of like made it really complicated sometimes. It's like walking down the aisle and filling out a card and there's the letter or like whatever that means. Is, is, it, is, it, is it really a letter? Like is it somewhere else? I don't know. Um, but like, I don't really know what it means and I work at a church. But, like, um, we've, but membership is you saying visibly and declaring that you're committed to that body and that you're in. And that allows us as a church to also make sure that you should be in and that you're staying in kind of thing, right? And so it allows us to make sure that you, you know, that we think you really know Jesus and that we can help spur you on in following Jesus more. And so, so I want to encourage you, maybe if you're here and you're not a member of Alberta, um, if you're ready for that commitment, some of you may not be, but if you're ready for that commitment, I want to encourage you, if you're not a member here, to become a member, to join the church, to, to make that, you know, a statement that you are committed to this body and that you want to be a, a church member. Um, some of you here are kind of still figuring out what your church um, is going to be and where you're going to um, settle in at. But even as you begin to make that decision, I want to encourage you, if Alberta kind of becomes your place where you want to commit, you know, make that commitment and, and say, you know, I want to make ABC my church home. I want to be a member. And I want to encourage you, you know, to, to join the church. And so even if you aren't from here, you can become a, a member here while you're in Tuscaloosa. And if you end up moving back home later on, you can become a member of your church back home when you get back. Like there's no, you know, magical kind of formula. Like it's okay to become a member and then go back home. Because honestly, you're here way more than you're at your church back home, right? And so we know you way better here. We know what's going on in your life better here than the people who are at your church back home for the most part. So we want to be able to shepherd you well in your college years. And so I want to encourage you, if you're ready for that commitment, to become a member uh, of Alberta Baptist Church. Okay, that's my commercial for it. But I really think it's a, it's a big deal. I think it's a great declaration. It's a great visible statement that you're committed to this church and you want to be held accountable to be a member of this church. Okay, makes sense? Cool. So if you have any questions, by the way, come talk to me. I'd love to give you more info about what it means to be a member here and how that works. It's a really easy process. It's not a big deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but it's not an overcomplicated process. Okay. With that said, we're going to wrap up tonight. I've got a few questions for you to discuss, but I want to pray for us. Um, but I have really, to preface the questions, I have two questions for you to talk about. 
But then um, the third one is kind of a non-question. It's something else tonight. I want you to actually find one person at your table that you don't know. So some tables may not be the same. You may have to mix up at some point or you know, make, it, make it different. But um, I want you to find one person at your table or even just here in general that you don't know well. And I want you to exchange phone numbers. I want you to make plans to get coffee or get lunch sometime this week. And maybe get to know someone that you just don't know. I know that there's enough people here to where you don't know everybody that well. And you probably haven't hung out with all these people one-on-one ever. So, right, so I want to encourage you to, to find someone in here that you haven't hung out with before, that you don't know very well, okay? And, uh, and get lunch or get coffee. I'm not trying to do speed dating at ABC College. I'm not saying that's what we're doing, okay? But um, so maybe it could be same gender. That might be, I don't know. You know, I'll let you decide that, okay? But, um, but yeah, for real, find someone that you can uh, get to know better and go from there. Because we want to build community here in our college ministry, in our church. And a great way to do that is just to spend time together, okay? So let me pray and you guys can discuss. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for...